uh, coming up. You know, we still have a little over a month or so. But again, you know, it's a great outreach. And as you can see from the slide, they've um, taken 26.5 million children through uh, the Greatest Journey, which is a 12-week uh, discipleship program to learn more about Jesus. And they have a chance to receive Jesus. And a lot of has happened. Churches have been established and, the, you know, all sorts of things. And um, so anyway, just wanted to uh, just remind us what a great ministry that is. Um, and also it talked about it being delivered to 170 different countries. And so that's pretty much every country. I think there's 190, depending on how people count them, 189 or something like that. So pretty much every country and uh, they're delivered to. So I just want to encourage you guys. There's more information on the website or on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, there's some links there up. And uh, if you want to check that out, uh, you know, give us a call, email us, come talk to us, uh, whatever, however it's best to contact. All right. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 34 as we continue our trek through... The Old Testament, we're just about done with the books of Chronicles, and um, we have a couple of short books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Esther. Um, so uh, some other sh short books of history before we get into what they call the books of poetry or Proverbs, and then books of Psalm, um, and then we'll get into the prophets. So we're getting close to the end of the period of history here. So let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up in verse 1. Father, we again ask tonight, Lord, that you would just continue to minister to our hearts as we turn to your word. We ask you to do great and wonderful things as you're so faithful to do, Lord. And so bless this time, Father, and uh, draw us near, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I encourage you guys that are uh, watching via video and so forth, is just always have your Bible and grab it and Follow along with us. Uh, we usually cover quite a few verses, and so it's great to have it there. So I encourage you guys at home to do the same thing. All right, well, it's been a couple of weeks since we left off with Manasseh, who just a tragic uh, life. Reigned the longest, the most evil king. Reigned for about 55 years. Just did everything possibly wrong. God judged him, sent him off to Babylon in captivity where he repented and then God brought him back um, uh, to the nation to rule and again it doesn't give us the, the exact but you know the last few years of his life he you know uh, turned to the Lord so we had some great lessons that we learned from that that nobody's too far gone and certainly um, you know he's a, a great example of that because everything I mean everything all the time, right? Life, life in the fast lane, as that song goes. <laughs> so, uh, but, and then we read just briefly at the end of 34, 33, if you want to look, is that, you know, Am, Am, Amnon, the, his son, reigned for a couple of years who did evil, didn't learn from his dad, um, and was really assassinated after a couple of years. And so he kind of came and went pretty quickly. And then chapter 34, now in verse 1, uh, says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. 
And again, as we've been going through, you know, the books, we've been seeing here that the Lord always gives a summary of the king's life, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in a sentence, you know, usually how old he was when they became to reign and then how long they reigned. Uh, and then, you know, the, the Lord gives a summary. And in this case, he walked what was right. It was right in front of the Lord. He did what like David did. Love the Lord. He didn't go to the right or the left. I mean, he walked the straight path his life. And I always think it's good, again, to us to pause because, uh, you know, we only have a couple more kings to look at very briefly. But um, again, if the Lord were to summarize our life, what would that one sentence summary be? Um, uh, it's always good to examine that. And in Josiah's case, he did what was right. And he had a wonderful beginning. Look, he's only eight years old. Now, I don't know how much he could know or how much he could do at that age, but we know, uh, you know he knew enough and wanted to do what was right. And of course, the Lord sees the heart of the person, um, sees him, knows his heart, knows what's going to go on and everything. Um, but, you, you know, just knows all those things. And he wanted to do right. And he didn't go off course, um, which is a great thing. He didn't go from the right to the left. He didn't waffle. He didn't, you know, have great moments. Uh, of course, every, all of us have mountaintop and valley kind of experience. Most of us, you know, we, our lives lived in the middle there somewhere. But he just didn't take any detour, you know, and... Uh, spend seven years in Tibet or whatever, you know what I mean? He, you know, walked with the Lord with all his heart, and he is the last of the good kings. It's all really downhill from here, and it happens all pretty quickly. So he's the last good guy that we'll run across. And I think there's a total of eight good kings in Judah, and so Josiah is the last one, and he starts out pretty young age. And then verse 3 tells us, uh, for... In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So at eight, you know, he had the heart to do the right things, and he, you know, had a heart for the Lord and was a good kid, obviously. But now he's 16, and he begins now to have this, his own relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, he, he, we would say today he'd come to know the Lord or he came into his faith on his own. It wasn't a faith through a, a mentor or parents uh, or grandparents or siblings in some way. Um, you know, his faith became his own and he probably had some good influences at some point. Although, you know, um, you know even though his dad was horrible, but it, it doesn't tell us. But at 16, he you know, old enough to make his own independent decisions from anything else, and he chooses to want to serve the Lord and embrace, and we would say have this now personal relationship or intimacy with the Lord. You know, every once in a while, people get into the, uh, ask a question about, you know, what's the age of accountability? In other words, what, at what age does the Lord say, uh, listen, you need to make your own decisions. You know, you might have grown up in a Christian home and had a lot of Christian influences here or that or whatever, but at some point it has to become your own or, or it's not. And then, you know, because people say, well, what happens if somebody dies at this age? Well, I think the Bible's pretty clear, not to digress too far off this, but, you know, 
child uh, before the age of accountability. I think the Bible is pretty clear about talking about God bringing them into heaven. Um, and I think he, you know, there's far more grace and mercy than we understand, but certainly children and so forth uh, in, in that way. But at a certain point, um, you know, the Lord says, hey, listen, if you got to make a decision. And what age is that? Well, you know, there's some hints maybe in the Bible. We know that there's times when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land and they didn't want to go into them by faith. And so everybody that was, you know, 20 and older uh, died in the wilderness. They didn't go in. So God counted the age of accountability up to 20. And uh, so, you know, other cases a little lower. Some people say it's a little higher somewhere in there. I personally kind of believe it's a little different for everybody else. But um Certainly here, you know, 16 is when he comes into this own relationship uh, with the Lord. And again, just like on Sunday, we see the sign of a true work of the Lord working inside of a person, just like Zacchaeus on Sunday. We talked about Zacchaeus on Sunday and uh you know, when we know someone's been born again, as Jesus put it in John chapter 3, or comes into this relationship by faith through Jesus' death and paying for our sins on the cross and our faith and trust and knowing His resurrection and He's at the right hand with the Lord and we come into that, that faith, you know, that's an inward work, but it always manifests itself in outward signs. Remember, it's not about religious duties and doing these things. That's kind of reforming the outside. The Lord's in the business of transformation, not reformation. He wants to transform a person and it starts inside out. It's not clean your act up, get your act together, you know, don't cuss, don't smoke, don't drink, and don't do with girls that do. What does that have that little saying goes or something? I don't smoke, don't drink, don't whatever. You know what I mean? It's not about that at all. Uh, you know, a person could have a, a clean life or, uh, and a, or even a, maybe what somebody might call a moral life and yet be on the highway to hell because there's no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sin. And um, again, this is, uh, you know, he began to seek the Lord. Well, what does that look like? And it tells us as we continue on here. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. And maybe that picture gives you some sense. I don't know. I just put it up there. And wooden images and carved images and molded images. And they broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images he broke into pieces and made dust of them and scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And he also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So again here, we see that that process of, you know, being a good kid, coming to this relationship of the Lord and growing, and his heart, he wants to do what's right instead of doing what's wrong. And then when, again, he enters into that personal relationship at 16, we see him stepping into action, right? He has this more of a zeal, a deeper commitment, and now he acts on his faith. And again, I believe that's just always Jesus, you know, would tell us, uh, you, how do you can tell about a person? Well, they're known by their fruit or what 
comes out of their life, right? And so we see that in, in Josiah's life. Isn't that great? And I believe, you know, he's going around, saw what his dad did, his grandfather did, and, you know, and he sees all this sin, and I think he's just getting kind of vexed, right? And he sees this way they're worshiping here, and this sex thing, and this partying thing, and this, this intellectual pursuit, and this power pursuit, and this, you know, sacrificing of of babies to get something better and, uh, you know, better life and all this kind of stuff. You know, um, he sees all that stuff. And, and I imagine him kind of, this is how I picture it, he's kind of walking or riding around in Jerusalem on some animal or something and, he, and Judah and the areas that he's ruling and he's kind of seeing this and he's seeing that and he's seeing all the wrong and all the sin and, you know, quite frankly, I, I think he just looks to himself and says, you know, I have the ability to do something here. I, I have the ability to, to make a change. And, you know, and again, we know that his dad and some of the others that come before him had cut down, uh, not his dad, his grandfather, had just cut down or maybe knocked down some of them and asked him when he came back. We know he did. But here, um, Josiah destroys it all. Um, and, you know, this picture is a little graphic, but the idea is why he did it this way is it couldn't be erected again. In other words, you know, if they just knocked a bunch of stuff over, knocked the idol and knocked down the building that it was in or just did this or that, you know, they would be able to rebuild it at some point. But he's taking like the bones of these pagan priests who would would generally be buried around whatever place of worship it is. You know, they'd want to be buried close to that, and they would bury them close. I mean, he's digging up those, you know, graves. He's taking the bones. He's burning them on there. He's, what we'd say today, desecrating them, just making it at a place where, um, you know, it's just completely getting rid of it, and it wouldn't be a place that anybody would want to rebuild and start that sort of idolatry and that sort of worship today. Now, now again, remember, this is nothing new. We have these same places of worship in our country, in our state, in our city, in our county today. We just don't call them by the same names. But all those places are still out there. You know, you have the, 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 the party scene and the, and the club scene where, where everybody's, you know, hanging out and, and you know, and, and just partying. And then they're, you know, those places and where they're, you know, looking for sexual partners. And then there's, you know, the clubs and places where the homosexual community waits and they're meeting up and doing the same thing in their sexual practices. And then you have... You know, the, the people that are, you know, going over here and, and they're worshiping everything about, you know, intellect and how much smarter and how smart we are. And, you know, it's just, um, you know, they're, the Hubble telescope, as a lot of you may have been following, you know, after 30 whatever years, 31 years, is, you know, they're replacing it with that new, um, well, they call it the next, it doesn't do as much as the Hubble, but it's the next, you know, update, if you would, 2.0 and, and, you know, they were talking about how the Hubble, you know, viewed the creations of the, the pillars of creation. You've probably seen that picture over the years where they, it looks like clouds in space and there are these pillars of clouds, it looks like. And, 
and that's the the creation of the universe that they're appearing in supposedly and you know they go on and on about this stuff and and they're just worshiping how smart they are and look what we've learned and look how much we know and and we can say you know peering through at this light spectrum it's this age and you know just it's it's so full of pride and and arrogance and uh, you know it's but that's going on just like it was here they were doing the same thing in that day or you know people are worshiping you know money and, and power and so they would be working and doing this and business and you know figuring out and you know how to create more wealth or more power all those things are going on so don't get all sidetracked by the names uh we just don't call them those names and and quite frankly it's acceptable in a lot more ways to society to do any of those things nobody gives a, a peep about it Josiah sees this and he says man we need to get rid of this and we need to get rid of it completely so people just don't want to go back and and don't go back he can't force people to change their hearts but he can he can close down those places so to speak we'd say today you know and 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 not make it so available Uh, for them. But as they say in all the infomercials, but there's more. <laughs> Verse 6 tells us, and he also did this cities of uh, of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon as far as Naphtali and, and all around with axes. He broke down the altars and the wooden images. He had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, and he returned to Jerusalem. So not only does he go in the area that he's ruling and that's that little dark and shaded area down there at the bottom where Jerusalem's kind of closer to the top, but now he's going up into what would be Israel, um, you know, when they were divided back up north towards the Sea of Galilee and everywhere in between in there. And he's tearing all those things down too. I mean, he's going through what used to be the whole nation now and 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 getting rid of all these places of idolatry. And I uh, I think um you know this uh, righteousness can be very contagious. That's why it's, it's so good and so important, you know. There's something about that when somebody's trying to do right and live right and act right and read right. It just you see that and 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 you know you have a heart like Josiah and you're a believer that that spurs you on too. It's just a great thing and that's exactly what he's trying to do is to spur on not only his people but others that are remnants from there and others that have occupied the land there and and you know he was moving on he was doing great and he was being encouraged as well i believe by the prophets that were there now i'll put up here zephaniah um chapter 1 verse 1 because now this is one of that we call the minor prophets not because his his role wasn't important it's just his writings were small So you have uh I Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are major prophets they call them because they have a lot to say. And most of their 
ministry was their prophecy, uh, prophetic ministry was their whole lifetime, and the Lord chose to record a lot. Uh, the other ones, it was sometimes one or two or three events over a period of, uh, of months or years. Zephaniah is, uh, is kind of one of the smaller ones. It's close to the end, Malachi. But it tells us here, the word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of uh, Gildiah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. That's, by the way, one of the kings, Hezekiah. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So we know Zephaniah was prophesying at the same time uh, that Josiah was, was ruling. Um, and I say this is because, you know, if you really want to know the spirit, because the books of history, we're kind of given the history. And yes, we're given some spiritual insight to what's going on. But if you really want to know the heart of the people and the nation and what's really going on, it'd be great to read the three chapters of Zephaniah because that's what, what, what he was, the Lord was saying to the people and what was going on. You could read that pretty short in a short order and get a, get a sense for what he was saying to the people at that time. And so uh, we know that he, he was around, and we'll talk about the next prophet here in a minute. But also, one of the reasons that Josiah heads out of Jerusalem and Judah and heads up is because 300 years earlier in 1 Kings chapter 13, um, this is about 300 years earlier, God had prophesied through this prophet when they had set up the very first uh, golden calf worship when they split, the nation split. There was that civil war, we'd say, and and Jeroboam was king in the north. And God said, listen, if you do what's right and follow me, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, let you and your line be kings for a long time. He left right away. He built these own places of worship. And one of them, and the major one, was Bethel. And a prophet came not too much longer after that uh, that said this, and you can read along with me in 1 Kings chapter 13, and it says, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. And he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. So God had foretold that 300 years uh, you know, earlier that Josiah was going to go up here and telling him, uh, and again, the message was, uh, you know, for, for, for Jeroboam, I said, man, it's just, you're, you're, you're turning away from me so quickly, and this is not going to stand. This place that you want the nation to go to and worship, instead of going to the temple in Jerusalem, it's just not going to stand. And one day, not only is it not going to be around being used, but it's just going to be desecrated and, and uh, have human remains on it, which again was like, you know, as desecrated as you could possibly make it, where nobody would want to go back there. And so, of course, the message to Jeroboam was that's how bad it was, and this is, this is, all on you and your own religion and your own way of trying to get to, to God, we'd say today, and it's never going to stand. And of course, God keeps his word and Josiah does exactly that. And then finally, somewhere between verse 7 and verse 8, 
Jeremiah starts his ministry, and I'll put that up there as well, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, keep that name in mind because we'll talk about him in a minute, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, the king of Am, uh, son of Amnon, king of Judah. And then he reigned through uh, all the rest of them until they were moved into exile, as the rest of it says, when the people were, of Jerusalem went into exile. And so again now, another great thing, and if you know anything about the Bible and have read much, you know the book of Jeremiah is a pretty tough book to read. I mean, Jeremiah, it's just, it's, it starts out not good and it ends up even worse. I mean, he just ministers through, you know, uh, a, a horrible time in the nation when they're just going down into exile. And then even after the judgment happens three times, uh, Babylon comes three different times and the third time they finally wipe it out and they're still, there's just a handful of them left and they're still not listening to the Lord. Um, so, but just so you know, Jeremiah is starting in the 13th year of his reign. So somewhere between verse 7 and verse 8, because verse 8 we get to the 18th year of his reign, Jeremiah now is already speaking. So again, if you want to know the spiritual condition of the nation and what the Lord thought of what the people had been doing you know, up to that point and what they did under Manasseh and some of the evil kings and what their heart was like... And where they were going, you know, you could read the book of Jeremiah. And that will give you a great, very full sense of all that was going on at that time. The spiritual condition of the, of the nation and what the Lord was saying to the people. Because you'll find Jeremiah preaching at the temple quite a bit. He'll literally be out there as the people come and go and say, you know, you're showing up here, but your heart isn't here. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that when we get there. But just know that Jeremiah is also on the scene. So the Lord's reaching his people. He's reaching his people under a, a good times in the sense that there's a good king. So, man, every opportunity for the people to turn to him uh, are, are being extended to the people. So you might know that. Okay, so Zephaniah is going. Jeremiah is going. Josiah is doing great thing. And then verse 8 says, In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land uh, and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Maaseiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So now, um, as he's purged out all the sin and these other places of worship, you know, uh, there was the building up of the things of the Lord because that always goes hand in hand, right? You just can't get rid of the sin and not fill up your life or a person or a nation of something uh, uh, with, with nothing. You know, you, you, you need to fill it up with the things of the Lord. You just can't get rid of the sin and think, okay, great, everything's good from here on out. No, there, there, there needs to be that filling and the growing with the things of the Lord. It's just not about knocking those things down and then just going off and living life. Uh, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do this. I'll do this. But, you know, I'm kind of living my own life. It's not like that. 
because it's only a matter of time before a person will creep back if you don't. Those sins and the temptations are just too great. And, you know, you, you empty it out and, and, and try to move away from those things. It's a matter of time before they come back. And that's why one of the things, you know, as a pastor, as a church, you know, when, when people give their lives to the Lord and they come to faith in Jesus, uh, one of the things that we emphasize is how important it is to get plugged into church and into fellowship with other believers. It just can't emphasize that enough. Um, a, a person coming to faith and makes this pronunciation at church and they pray a prayer and they come forward at a crusade or they, you know, ho- however they come to know the Lord. And, and then, and if that's it, and yeah, maybe they stop doing some of these things, but there's no growth, there's no connection, then it's only a matter of time before things just wither. And most of us have been around for a while, have seen that, you know, where a person gives their heart to the Lord, but they don't, and they put away some of the old stuff, but they don't fill their heart with the things of the Lord. And, and the, it's only a matter of time before they're back kind of in the dirt. And I, I, I just literally almost hundreds of people come to mind over my years of being around church and ministry. Um, you know, it seems like the list can just roll off your head. It's like, what happened? And what happened? And what happened? And what happened? It's just... It's important, and so it's so important. And, and here, you know, uh, Hezekiah, I'm sorry, um, Josiah is hedging that up and building it up, and, you know, it had been in some disrepair, and maybe more people are coming there now, and they needed to do more to it. Uh, very important, uh, you know, not just getting rid of the sin, but filling that and then with the things of the Lord. So verse 9 says, When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, now if you look at the slide up on the screen, Who's Jeremiah the son of? Hilkiah. So Jeremiah was the son, uh, one of the sons of the high priest. So just so you have some connection of, uh, of who he was. Uh, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, verse 9 continues, which the Levites who kept the doors and had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, which they had brought back to Jerusalem. And they put it into the hand of the foreman who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and to restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen to, and the builders to buy hewn stone and timbers for beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. Because remember, Manasseh had closed it down. He had set up idols in there. I mean, all kinds of stuff had happened in there. Uh, Verse 12 says, And the men did the work faithfully. And then it tells us the overseers were Jathan, Obadiah, the Levites, Merari, Zechariah, and Meshulam, the sons of the Kohathites, to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers over all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. So, as you know, he turns his heart now to continue to build up the things of the Lord after moving the sin. You know, the people were willing to give to the things of the Lord, which is something that naturally happens, and again, in a person's life. 
when a person comes to know the Lord, uh, their desire to give is, uh, you, you know, it's just one of those things. The, the Lord's blessed you. You just want to give. It's not all about me anymore. It's not all about self and what I have and what I have in my bank and what I do with my time and what I do with my resources and my talents and all that. It's just something natural that, that happens in a person's life as they grow spiritually. And that's, of course, what's happening with the people, even outside the rule of, of, of Josiah proper up there in the north. And, and, and what a great thing. They're, they're, they're bringing that up and they're, they're adding to uh, and helping to rebuild and put the, the, uh, the money and time into that. And then, um, uh, you know, verses 12 and 13 are unusual to me. They kind of stick out a little bit. Because you notice the guys that were over uh, the carpenters and the plumbers, we'd say today, the masons, the electricians, the guys moving the dirt, the soil around, right? were um, musicians. That's kind of like the worship team, you know, um, supervising the construction workers, which I, I think is kind of weird. And if you know any kind of musicians, you know they're weird anyway, so you wouldn't really want them supervising. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, um, you, you know it, it was unusual, and it wasn't just them, but the Lord does point that out, that they were over so much of the different aspects of the construction. And what that says to me is a couple of things. One, quite possibly, the group that loved and served the Lord, even through the low times when the kings were evil and doing wicked, um, you know, wasn't that big of a group of, uh, uh, of people. And maybe even at this point, it's still not that large of a group of people. Um, and that very well could be, um, and that's why those guys are kind of stepping in to do that. Um, you know, it, it also could, you know, that also could just give us one more piece of the puzzle of how bad spiritually the hearts of most people were, probably. That, you know, the guys that would normally would be dedicated musicians and doing this now are in charge of construction and workers and all these different contractors, we'd say today. And so... You know, uh, uh, it just probably tells us a lot of the heart, uh, just the spiritual condition of the nation. But the other thing it tells us, and I think it's a very important lesson, is that nobody had this isn't my job attitude. They were willing to help wherever there was a need. And I think that is just such an important mark of a true servant of God. This, they don't have that, well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I can do this, and I don't do that. I think the mature Christian view always is, listen, I am here to serve. I'm here to serve the Lord at whatever capacity He chooses to use at any given moment. If it's this or that or that, whether a thousand people know about it or nobody will ever know about it, and it's, you know, a break fixing a broken sprinkler pipe or, you know, uh, giving somebody, a, you know, a, a jump whose battery died or pulling weeds or fixing a toilet or, or, you know, preaching a message. You know, it doesn't matter. The true servant is, you know, I'll help out wherever, Lord, 
you see the need there, I'm willing to serve in whatever capacity you need. And, and that's just the heart we always need to strive towards. And we're never too big or uh, to, to do the little things, and we're never too little to do the big things. It doesn't matter whichever way. Well, I'm, I'm not this, and I don't know that. Hey, if the Lord opens a door and there's an opportunity, I'm willing to step out in faith, uh, or I'm willing to step down to a, a lowly position that some people might say to, to serve the Lord. Whichever it is, I'm here to serve. And that's the total mature Christian view, uh, one that we always should grow in. And, and so they're doing that, they're fixing everything. Now, keep all this in mind. You know, it's the 18th year they started doing this. That means he's been ruling for 18 years. And, and look at all he's done and all we talked about, because this next verse has kind of come to me as a little bit of a shock. And verse 14 says this, Now, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given to Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Saphan, Saphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave it to Saphan, Saphan, and Saphan carried the book to the king, bringing uh, the king word, saying, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. And then Saphan said to the scribe, uh, Saphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Saphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Now, I don't know if that picture helps you or anything like that, but just figure the workmen are working. You know, you got the carpenters, you got the electricians, you got the plumbers. I know, you get, you get my idea. The stonemasons and all these kind of stuff, and the guys cleaning up and sweeping up, and the laborers, we'd say, today. They're all doing these jobs, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, one guy's maybe kind of fixing this stone here, and uh, this is how I picture it. Some of the blocks aren't straight here or something like that, or the wood's out of place, and he's replacing it. And all of a sudden, you know, he's pulling that beam out or moving that stone around and then all of a sudden he sees this little hidden compartment if you would this little space and in this space he reaches out and grabs you know this scroll and and if this gives you some idea this is what a scroll would look like so you know it didn't have to take anything you know huge but one of the priests had stashed away the law uh, uh, and a lot of people think it's the Torah or the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. It could very well be that, or it could have been just uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It doesn't really tell us. It seems to be the first five books. Uh, sometimes they would refer to the book of the Deuteronomy as the law as well. But, but the bottom line is, all of a sudden this guy moves this thing, moves this thing, grabs pulls this thing out, and all of a sudden he opens it up and says, oh, what's this thing? Let's bring it over to this guy. And this guy brings it to his foreman. The foreman says, I don't know, bring it to uh, you know, one of the priests over there. The priest you know, opens it up and goes, wow, this is the Bible, we'd say today. You know, you know, he's rolling up the scrolls like, wow. And he says, hey, get the scribe, you know, the guy that could write, and, and have him take it to the king, and he gives him the update. Hey, all the work is going good. And, and while the work is going, we found this scroll, the law. And then he starts unrolling it and reading it to Josiah there. 
And, 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 you know, again, his reaction in verse 19 uh, is, we are in trouble. Or as Scooby would say, rut row, <laughs> right? And again, most of the judgments for not following God's law are found in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, there's a lot of warnings at the end. So maybe he read the whole thing and got to Deuteronomy. Uh, but again, they, they have the word of God. It's finally being heard. And Josiah is beyond, beside himself. Wow, I can't believe how far off we are. But it brings up something kind of amazing to me because Josiah had been loving and serving the Lord without the word of God. He didn't have the written word of God. And now we're not sure exactly what records he had. He might have had some things under his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David. And maybe, you know, he had learned some stuff because it said he did just like his father David. Maybe there were some historical documents he had. It doesn't tell us. But the bottom line is, he didn't actually have the Word of God in front of him for all those years. And I think that's interesting for a couple of reasons. And, and one is this, because, you know, you always get this question as a Christian at some point. Well, what about the guy that lives in the middle of the jungle on top of the hill on the island far out in the middle of nowhere? I mean, you know, how does he believe in God and serve God and, and learn about him and all this? kind? You know, they always give those questions. And, of course, I always say, I wouldn't worry about that guy. He's, he's probably going to be okay. It's you that know better. <laughs> but the bottom line, it does, it does show that, you know, someone in that kind of situation can honor and serve the Lord in some fashion, even if they don't have a Bible translated into a language that they speak, right? And, and again, so I, it does point out that. And again, secondly, remember the kings way back from Deuteronomy were supposed to, when the new king came to the throne, they were actually supposed to write out a copy of the law and the Lord said, every time a king comes, one of their first, job number one is you write it out. I mean, the king was really to write it out. You write it out so he would know what the word of God said, what God expected, what God wanted of the nation, what his heart was. And so they were supposed to write that out. Obviously, that hadn't been going on for what? For years. And, and, and again, um, I don't know when the last time the Word of God had shown up in the nation. The, the best I can put together, and I'm sure there's smarter people that know a lot more, but I know this in Proverbs chapter 25. So you read through the Proverbs, you get to chapter 25, and before the Proverbs starts, in verse 1, there's this little note, and it says this, and it says, These are more Proverbs of Solomon copied by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So, at some point, about a hundred years earlier, roughly, uh, you know, Hezekiah had access to some of the word of God. And again, to what extent, we don't know, but he certainly had some of Solomon's writings that we have, which are pretty much chapters 25 through possibly 31, maybe, you know, through 29 or something, and but anyway, he, but that's the last time that we know that the Word of God showed up at, at some form or another um, 
in, 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 in the nation during the history of the kings here. It just shows how scarce knowledge and, and having what we'd say today that the Bible was. I mean, they had never seen it before, it seems. Even the high priest was taken back. Another thing that says to me is it's just been ignored for so long that people just forgot kind of all about it and how important it was and, and, and how it's, you know, God's love letter to people. It work has such great impact in our lives, and that's why we read it here. I mean, that's why we're going through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then we start again, and we keep going back. And yes, you know, having sermons on topics and this and that aren't bad or wrong, but it's, it's you know, it's just like at some point, you know, it's just like, you know, it's good to have, you know, spinach and a salad, but man, you don't want a salad at every meal because it just you're going to be lacking a lot of other things. Salads are good, but you just can't have it all the time. And if that's all you're eating, you're going to be skinny like Marty. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You just, you're not going to have all the nutrition. And it's so important um, that we have the whole Word of God. And so, again, um, but it, it becomes so scarce. They, did, they haven't seen it in a generation or two or three. But we also know as we grow closer to the end of all things that this is going to happen and, and is happening. You know, the Word of God is going to have less and less relevance in the world and it's, people are going to, you know, uh, move it aside further and further and further and down and down again. You know, I, just in my own little lifetime, uh, I remember to this day in 1983 that our president then, Ronald Reagan, made 1983, he declared this as a presidential declaration, 1983 as the year of the Bible. Now, can you imagine any of our presidents since that point declaring to the nation that this is the year of the Bible, we want to focus on the Bible, and me as president and my staff, we want to, you know, uh, want to declare how important the Bible is. <laughs> Can you imagine that? They're dodging questions about, you know, the Bible. Are you kidding me? It's, it's uh, I don't know all those terms anymore. I should, you know, it's, it's homophobic, it's xenophobic, it's, uh, what are those other phobics? Come on, we can list all those ones that, uh, it's this phobic, it's against this, it's uh, this, uh, you know, all those things that people, you know, are against, uh, you know, <laughs> right? In today's age, that's what they would say. But again, even in my short lifetime, although some of you might say I'm pretty old, but, uh, you know, uh, it's just heartbreaking and tragic that churches are moving away from teaching the Word of God. And we just, we miss too much, you know, and just to stick to traditions or to stick to what we've always done or to think we need to keep people entertained. And boy, I won't go down that road, but it's just so important when we stay with it. So important that you read through it, not just take my word for it. You read your Bible. Um, it's important. And so, back to our story here, the Word of God now is shining clearly to Josiah and Shaphan and Hilkiah and those people, so it's kind of rut-row. So what does Josiah do next? You know, he hears about this, he sees this, he's upset, he's torn his clothes, but it 
Next, he shows his heart and his love for the Lord because in verse 20, Then the king commanded Hilkiah, uh, Ahikam, the son of Saphan, uh, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Saphan, the scribe, and Azariah, the uh, servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. And so Hilkiah and those the kings appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, in the, uh, the son of Tekohath, the son of Hash, uh, Hazrah, keeper of the wardrobe. And she dwelt in the Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. So you got to love Josiah hears this and says, oh no, man, we, you know, we got to hear what the Lord has got to say. We need to know more about this. We're in big trouble because now we know what the word of the Lord says, and the nation is on a track for destruction, so we need to hear from the Lord what we should do next. I love that. Good thing to do. I'm in trouble. Man, things are here. What do we do? We go to the Lord. And in this case, go to somebody, and I think this is another important thing is, what what does the Lord have to say? Uh, We're going to go to somebody that we know loves the Lord. And somebody that's known for having a heart of the Lord and knowing the heart of the Lord. And guess who this person is? It's the wife of a tailor. Or maybe we'd say today she's the wife of the guy that owns the, the dry cleaner business, you know, somewhere, right? I mean, she's the wife of a tailor. Now, that doesn't sound impressive to me. I don't know about you, you know? But what that does say is that. Hey, if she can be used, guess what? So could you, right? Anybody can be used. And I find this interesting also because Jeremiah's around. I mean, Jeremiah and Zephaniah are around. Two big hitters and probably a lot more that the Lord didn't choose to record are known prophets. And yet Josiah goes to uh, Huldah, the prophetess there. Because she was known to be faithful and available uh, and, and, again, known for her godliness. She had a great reputation. And I think that's, again, another important thing for us as believers as well. We need to have this, too, because some people, you know, uh, don't know the Word of God. In fact, a lot of people don't know the Word of God. And then a crisis comes, but they know you know the Word of God, or they know that you're a Christian, or they know that you're a believer. And so, oh yeah, I remember him or her. I know them. I work with them. I've seen them. They're my neighbor. They're my cousin. They're my boss. They're my whatever. Uh, you know, and I, I, you know, it's a time of crisis. Uh, you know, I, I, I know they're faithful. They're available. They're, they're, they have a good reputation. And so, you know, the Lord will use us too. That's the point. 
You know, she was known. Uh, there wasn't some debate. It's, no, we know that she's faithful. We know she knows the heart of the Lord. We know the Lord speaks through her. And so let's hear what the Lord has to say. And again, you know, back in those days at that time, the Lord would use prophets at that time. Still does. It's still one of the gifts in the church. But again, we have the whole counsel, the Word of God in front of us. And so I find in my life, and maybe you do too, that the Lord speaks to me through the Holy Spirit through His Word the majority of the time, but still uses people and still inquire of people and get counsel. So it's still part of the church makeup. But certainly here at this time, the Lord spoke through prophets. And she said in verse 23, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing a calamity in this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might prove me, uh, provoke me, I'm sorry, to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. <laughs> Can I sum it up this way? Huldah says, this train is coming to a dead stop. <laughs> Judgment is coming. End of story. Uh, it's as a, a result of so much and everything that has happened now, judgment is going to fall. There is nothing that's going to stop it. I just want you to know that. And I want us to know this. It doesn't matter that the people didn't know it or if they didn't believe it or if they agreed with it or if they disagreed with it or they wanted to argue over this or that or thought it was this or that or whatever. Listen, what's written in the Word of God will take place no matter what people think. Just remember that. Just like here, it didn't matter that they just found out about it five minutes ago, let's say whatever it was. God was holding them accountable and His Word and His plan was going to happen regardless of what anybody's opinion was or what they thought or what they believed. It's going to take place no matter what. And just remember that. You know, if people want to bash the Bible and bash you as a Christian and call you all these names and say this, and you know, being a Christian is being run down in our world certainly in our society, certainly in our state, certainly in our county, and certainly in our city. I can speak for that directly. Uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, evil is being held up as being good and right, and, and, and what's good and right and, and moral and Christian and godly is looked down upon uh, as a general rule. And, and then, uh, but, but, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they like the Word of God or put it down or something. What he says is going to come to pass is going to come to pass. There's going to be a day when God's going to take his church, his body out. We call that the rapture and be taken out. And the godless, the those that rejected Christ will be here through that tribulation period. And he's going to take the body. It's not going to stop. It doesn't matter if they like us or not like us or this or that or whatever. It doesn't matter. His Word is going to come to pass. And that way, having, having some big argument with somebody about, you know, well, this is going to happen or that's going to happen, 
you know, at the end of the day, guys, his word is going to come to pass because he's God and he's in control. And, and that's the first declaration that she says to him. It's, I, I said this was going to happen if this happened, and it's happening, so it's going to happen. Same is true with us today. But she continues, there's a but, which is great, verse 26. But as far as the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you says the Lord. Verse 28, Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. So secondly, she says, uh, tell Josiah that this judgment is not going to happen in his day. The Lord is going to explain spare him from experiencing uh, this judgment. And again, I see your heart. Uh, my wrath is not ever poured out on my people. The Bible talks about that over and over again. We talked about that on Sunday morning a few weeks ago. You know, Jesus was using the example of Noah, evil world, yet the righteous were spared. The days of Lot, evil cities, Lot and his daughters were spared. Um, again, and it rolls again here. Um, again, it's going to happen in the, you know, uh, we're, we're not appointed to wrath, the Bible tells us, in the New Testament. So we're going to be spared, and that's why God's going to pull us out in what we call the rapture someday. We're, we don't face His judgment because we're His people, and our sins have been paid for by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so we, we don't, we're not accountable for them anymore. That's that great, amazing grace. And he says, so you're going to be spared that as well. Now, as we finish up here, just think of yourself as Josiah. You hear this message back. Okay, great. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen in the future. It's not going to happen in my day. So, well, how would you act? Well, let's read the rest of it and see what he does. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin to, to stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Now, we have one more chapter where we'll talk about what happens to Josiah next week. 
But notice when he hears that, okay, it's not going to fall on you. It's coming, but it's not going to fall on you because of your heart. He could have gone like, okay, cool. All right, good. I don't have anything to worry about. I don't have to sweat this now, right? That's not what he did. He sought the Lord even more and wanted to encourage the people even more. You you know, again, uh, it it wasn't like, oh, that's cool. I'm not going to have to pay the price. That wasn't his attitude. I'm going to heaven, so that's okay. I'm good, so that's all that really matters. No, he wanted everybody to hear and learn from the Word of God. I I mean, what what a great thing. Now, again, he's going to command them and he's going to tell them, and you can't ever force anybody to follow the things of the Lord, and we'll talk about that in in the weeks coming. But he said, listen, as far as it's with me and my heart, I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart and with all my soul. We're going to do what he says and call this what he's called us to do. And because I'm king, I'm going to lead the way, and I want you guys to know what the Word of God has to say too. He wanted everybody to hear it and everybody to learn from it and have the same opportunity Uh, that he had to hear the word of God. And really, at the end of the day, isn't that all any of us could do? I mean, really, you know, we, we know people out there. There's people we love. There's family. There's friends. There's neighbors, coworkers, and, and, and all those that we run into. And, and, you know, what can we do? Well, yeah, we can give them a couple bucks if they need a couple bucks here or there or help them do this or do that or something like that. But, but ultimately, you know, our heart for the Lord as believers is that, you know, we want them to hear the word of God. We want to share with them what the Lord's done in our hearts, in our lives, and how He's spoken to us through His Word and those great passages that has ministered to our hearts. And, and you, you know, I can't make you receive the Lord. I, I can't make you, you know, uh, love Him and want to serve Him and, and, and see the great plan of salvation that He has through Jesus. Uh, I can't, but I can, I, can, I can share all that He's done in my life and my heart and, and, and tell you what the Word of God says uh, so that you know, and you've heard it all, that you might, in hopes like I have, received that gift of salvation and learn about Him and grow in that knowledge and that grace. And, and that's, that's a great thing. And, and He doesn't have the cool, I'm in heaven. Uh, you know, as good old Dave Johnston used to say, I got my get out of uh, hell free card in my pocket so I'm good to go and that's all I need to worry about. He didn't have that heart. No, I've learned, I've grown, I've seen, the Lord showed me more. And what I do is, what I want to do is continue to spread that and share that and encourage that. And I think that's a, a, a great blessing and it just really shows us even more the heart of a person who's just in love with the Lord and uh, wants to see other people experience that same joy and peace and love and joy and salvation that we have through Him. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this time and looking at uh, Hezekiah's life, and we'll see how the people respond next week in chapter 35, uh, Lord. And uh, it's just so wonderful and great. And and Lord, I, I pray that we would just learn from these things as well. Lord, see the heart of a person that you choose to hold up for us to to see how they act, how they live, what they did, what they did with what they had, and when they received more, what they did with that. And just the love that they had for you translated into loving people because you love people. 
and your heart is, and you tell us that you want everybody to come to know you. You want everybody to be in that position. And as we grow and mature, Lord, that, that becomes our heart as well. We're, we're givers like you. We're joyful like you. We're, we're, uh, we, we want people to know. And when we hear things, Lord, we're humble. We're willing to serve. We're willing to, uh, to, to love people and to share, Lord, uh, the good news. And that's what you called us to. And you use simple people, a tailor's wife, um, or a, a mechanic, or a president, or CEO of some big corporation, Lord, or anyone in between. We're all uh, vessels, Lord, and we all can be used to great and wonderful ways, Lord, right where you have us. And no one's too big and no one's too small, Lord, to, to, to be able to be used by you. And I pray that we'd have that open heart and just be willing to, to step out in faith and trust you, Lord. Bless these things. Cause us to draw close to you, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.